Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How are y'all doing? All right, let's do this. So this last July... I spoke at Mission Peoria, which is a week-long student mission trip to our city, and it's led by Dream Center Peoria. It's an amazing organization. It's an amazing week. And God had given me a word from Judges 6 and the life of Gideon for all of the students that week, and it was on identity. And it was on seeing themselves as sons and daughters who were made in the image of God. And it was on how when we live our lives by what the world says about us, we miss out on our true identity about what God says about us and the fact that we bear his likeness. So Chris, last week, if you were here, you heard him illustrate this exact thought so beautifully when he opened up this series that we're in called Generations. And back in July... When God gave me this word for the students at Mission Peoria, he also gave me a word for this church from the very same passage. A different word, same chapter, but for a different group of people for some time in the future. And a couple months ago, Chris and I were discussing some things that we'd been reading in scripture, some things that were floating around in our mind, and, and we began talking about this thought about generations and what does it look like to lead different generations? What does it look like when we see in this church people of of different generations? But what does it mean to affect not just our generation, but also the generations that are to come? What does it look like as parents? What does it look like as leaders? What does it look like as students? What does it look like as grandparents, as ministry leaders, as business leaders? And so here we are in this Generations series, and Chris, he had two main thoughts. One was on identity, which he preached on last week, and the next one is um, on having the heart of David, which he's going to preach on next week. So I'm just in the middle of a Chris sandwich. (laughs) I set that one up for you. I realized that I had one idea. And it was the other word that God had given me back in July. And it was for today. It was for this series. It was for this time. It was for us right now. And I don't think it's by chance that the first word that God gave me from the book of Judges for Mission Peoria was on identity. Very similar to the word that Chris preached last week. I think God loves to create puzzle pieces. And he scatters them out all over the place. And then he lets us discover how they all fit together. So I'm switching things up a little bit today. I am going to thrill all of the fundamentalists out there because I'm going to preach expositorily. For the rest of us, that just means I'm going to take one chapter of the Bible. I'm going to preach it line by line, verse by verse. Don't worry. It's way more exciting than it sounds. Your faces all just went, oof. So this is the teaching message, and I'm going to teach you from the insight that I believe that God has given me through this particular passage. I also believe this from the 
bottom of my heart. My bones feel this. I believe that the Lord has given me some very specific words for some of you. So there's going to be some times in my message today when I say, today someone needs to hear dot, dot, dot. And if that particular thought speaks to you, I want you to receive that as a word from the Lord for yourself. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, you can turn with me to Judges 6. It's the seventh book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And if you don't have a Bible and you don't have an app, it's okay, because it's all going to stay up on the screen the whole time. So the backdrop of this story is that the nation of Israel had finally entered the promised land after years of wandering around in the wilderness. And it had been quite a few years since Joshua, the great general Joshua, had helped them conquer the land. So they were settled in. They were home. But I want you to keep in mind that this land that they had entered wasn't unoccupied when they came to it. I don't know, but for some reason when I hear they were going into the promised land, in my mind I picture this unoccupied space where they were just able to freely go in and set up camp. But that's not true. See, there were many other nations who lived there. And these nations had their own cultures. They had their own way of living, and they had their own gods. And God had told them, and many others had told them, Moses and Joshua included in that, had warned them over and over and over not to become like the other nations, not to intermarry, and especially not to worship the other nation's gods. This was even a law that God gave to Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments. The law, the commandment said this, you shall have no other god but me. And you must not make an idol of any kind. So this is a law that was not easy to miss. It wasn't like that hidden law that you're like, oh, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. God had repeated it to them over and over and over again. They knew this law. But here they are, many, many years later, completely turning their backs on God and, listen, buying into the culture of the nations around them. It was a culture of idolatry, and it was a culture of worshiping other gods. So here's where we pick up in Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, moritors from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived 
on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. So despite Israel's repeated disobedience and repeated failures, God, once again, sends them a rescuer. He once again sends them a way out. Maybe that's where you are today. You know God. You even feel like you love him. You know that God has a plan for you and a path for you, but you have wandered off of it. You have found yourself caught up in the things that the world has to offer you, and you have lost sight of what God has for you. Or maybe you feel like a failure, and you feel so far away from the one whose identity you bear. But today, listen, your rescuer is here. Your way out of the mess that you have made is here. He has come just for you, just like the angel of the Lord came for Israel. He is here to give you another chance. He is here to give you a way out of the mess you have made. God will always send you a rescuer. The verse says, if you can put that verse back up there, that first portion of scripture, the verse says, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree. Do you know what tree represents? Growth and life. A tree represents new life and strength and might. And God is saying this to you today. I have sent you, you who feel stripped bare, you who feel like you're starving, you who wonder if God is even still there. I have sent you my angel today, and he sits beneath that tree, and he has come to rescue you. He has come to bring you new life and strength to you, and he has come to bring his might and his power to help you overcome that hard thing. So for you, your rescuer is here right now. Today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week, today. But it doesn't come without work on your part. Judges 6, 11 and 12. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, 
mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So this is the first time that our man Gideon is mentioned. And the first time he's mentioned in the Bible, we find him hiding out in a wine press, scared of his enemies, freaked out. See, he's threshing his wheat down there so the Midianites won't see him and steal his grain. It's not a terrible idea, right, to hide from your enemies unless you consider the track record of Israel. See, they had seen God rescue them in miraculous ways over and over and over again. But because they had turned from God and given their lives over to the worship of idols and false gods, they had forgotten the power of their God. They had forgotten that he could rescue them, and they had forgotten his miracles. But I love this. God doesn't even address this with Gideon. He doesn't address the fact that he's down in the wine press fearful. He doesn't fault him for his fear. He doesn't put shame and guilt on him. It's the opposite. He actually calls him mighty hero. And he reminds him, the Lord is with you. He calls him by a name that doesn't yet, as far as we know, fit his actions. He calls him by a name that Gideon still will live up to. Some translations actually say man of valor instead of mighty hero. And this leads us to believe that Gideon was a man of success. He was a man of means. But listen, he was buried in obscurity because of the time that he was living in. He was hiding because his enemies were stealing from him. He was in fear because of what was being taken from him. So although he is a man of means, he is a man of valor, he is successful, he was buried beneath the circumstances of his life. For someone in here today, that is you. You have gifts and you have talents, you have wisdom, you have ideas, you have success. You're just buried under your circumstances. But today God is saying, hey, mighty hero, here we go. I want to use you. I'm going to use you. You will no longer be buried in obscurity. Let's also recognize this. Not only did the angel call him by a new name, he gave him this promise. The Lord is with you. He reminded him that not all was lost, that the Lord of heaven was in his midst, that the Lord of heaven is in our midst. Someone needs to hear that today. The Lord has not left you. He has not left you. He is here with you right now. So then we see Gideon's response to this, to be being called mighty hero. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us 
and handed us over to the Midianites. So Gideon questions the angel. He's like, have you seen all of this mess? Does that sound familiar to some of us? Do you see the state of my marriage, God? You say you're with me, but have you seen my finances recently? Do you see this relational strife that I have? Have you heard what people are saying about me? Do you notice that my mental health is a constant struggle? Lord, have you seen the illness that my child has? Lord, do you see this mess? Where is God? Where are his miracles? Why isn't he helping me through this? And for someone here today, God can handle your doubts. He can handle your questions. They don't freak him out. Tell him all of them. Say them all to him and see how he responds to you. So the Lord responds to Gideon's doubts and questions. (laughs) Then the Lord turned to him. Gideon's just had this hissy fit. And the Lord says this. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. He doesn't even acknowledge Gideon's hissy fit. He goes straight to the good stuff. He goes straight to affirming who Gideon is and what he has and what he's supposed to do. You know why I believe the Lord didn't acknowledge Gideon's doubt? Because they were mute points. They had no bearing on what Gideon was about to do. So God is refocusing Gideon's viewpoint. I wonder, do you allow God to do that to you? Do you allow God to refocus your view? Someone in here today needs to stop gazing on all the troubles that you see around you. You need to stop every conversation that you have with people revolving around all the things that are wrong with your life. And you need to fix your eyes and your thoughts and your words and your actions on the one who is here to rescue you. Listen, God is reminding you, I know what you are dealing with, but let me remind you of what you have. But see, Gideon, he's like some of us, or maybe just, I'll just put me in there. Sometimes he's a little slow to get what God's actually saying to him. And this is how he responds. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. See, Gideon had seen, he says it in the verse earlier, he had seen and heard about the Lord rescuing his people before. Because he says, Lord, where are all those miracles? Where is, where is all of that, Lord? He knew about it. So I don't think he was particularly surprised that the Lord was there to rescue them. I think he was surprised that the Lord was going to use him. 
And this goes back to Chris's message from last week on our identity. Do we look in the mirror and see failure? There's Heather, unqualified. There's Chris, failure. Or do we look in the mirror and do we see the image of God in us? What you might not know about Gideon is that he is from the tribe of Manasseh, which is from the line of Joseph. And so all of the tribes of Israel, which have come from the 12 sons of Jacob, you know, Isaac, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and each one of the tribes were named for the 12 sons, except Joseph had two sons that got tribes named after them. Double portion. But when all of the land in the promised land was divided out, each tribe got one portion of land except for one tribe. And guess guess who it was? Manasseh. And they got a double portion. They got double what everyone else got. Joshua 17, 17 says this. Joshua is speaking to the tribe of Manasseh, and he says this to them. Since you are so large... And so strong, you will be given a double portion of land. Yet, somehow, all these years later, Gideon has forgotten his identity. He has forgotten his inheritance. He has forgotten that his tribe received a double portion. And he sees himself and his family as weak and insignificant. So for someone in here today, do not let the struggles of today strip you of the promises and the truth of yesterday. God's word does not go void. Your current circumstances do not define you or render God's promises to you void. So the Lord, again, responds to Gideon. The Lord says to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The Lord repeats himself. See, God is so patient with us. He is long-suffering. It means he suffers a lot for our sake. He doesn't throw the towel in on us when we don't get it the first time or the second time or the hundredth time. He keeps reminding us. He keeps showing us his never-ending love for us. Don't box God into one chance. But I also love, again, how once again the Lord doesn't give airtime to Gideon's doubts. He's just like, nope, nope. He just reminds him of his strengths. He reminds him of the task that he's being asked to do. So Gideon replies to the Lord, Judges 6, verse 17. If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in the basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. 
The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. So Gideon asks God for a sign. And the Lord gives it to him. The Lord says, okay, if that's what you need, here you go. And for someone in here today, I believe that you are looking for an answer to something. You're asking the Lord to show you clearly the path forward and to confirm that it's him speaking to you. And I want to just tell you, ask him again and listen. He will give it to you. He will show you. Judges 6, verse 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. So the plot has just thickened a bit. God didn't just want Gideon to go fight some foreign enemy, some human enemy. He was also asking him to deal with some really big sin issues in his family. See, Joash was Gideon's father, and he was one of those that had fallen prey to the culture of the nations around him. He had set up an altar to Baal, who is a false god, and was making offerings to this false god. He had also set up an Asherah pole. And both of these things, as we talked about earlier, had been forbidden by God. So it got me thinking a little bit. Why? Why would Joash do this? I mean, you know, sin and peer pressure and all of that. But there had to be a root. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is, but I came up with two thoughts. And I could be totally wrong, but let's just go down this, this path for a minute. One, Joash, Gideon's father, was just trying to fit in. He was trying not to be too different from his neighbors who didn't worship the God he worshipped. In today's language, it would, it would be he was trying to keep up with the Joneses. Or the second thought I had was that he had some need in his life that he didn't believe his God could fulfill or answer. Or that he had forgotten his God could answer. See, Baal was known as the god of fertility, and the Asherah pole was used and worshipped as a sacred image of fertility. So what made me wonder, was there something to that? Had Joash turned to worldly means for some need that he or his family had? 
I don't know the reason he built the altar and the pole, but I know this. When God chose a rescuer for his people, God bypassed Joash and went to his son Gideon. My best guess is that because Joash had set up altars to worship false idols, he was bypassed. So what are those things in your life? What are the idols that have taken place of your worship to God? Remember, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Anything that undermines our trust in God. It can be an object. It can be a person. It can be a harmful thing. It can be a wonderful thing. It can be an idea or a thought. It can be a feeling like fear or worry. It can be your kids. It can be your spouse. It can be a friend. It can be achievement or success or education or esteem. And I want you to I want you to really ask yourself that right now. What idols might be set up in your life? We all have something, every single one of us. And I want you to ask yourself this very sobering question. What idols will your kids have to tear down because you kept them up? Is it the idol of success? Is it the idol of alcohol? Is it the idol of sports or insecurity or perfectionism or ministry? What hard work of tearing down idols might your kids be asked of the Lord to do unless you deal with it today? And what idols have been passed down from generations behind you? I want you to seriously consider this right now. Whether it's an idol of money that's been passed down from parents or grandparents. Maybe you've been taught that success is how much you have in your bank account and all the nice things you have. And that's been passed down and you've just continued to model that in your family. Maybe it's the idol of poverty, and you've stayed in a mindset of poverty for a long time. That's what's been passed down to you, and today is the time to break that because you serve a God that owns everything and that wants success and goodness for you. How about education? I know. Some of you are like, come on. It's education. That's never a bad thing. Really? It's not? How about when your kids become so educated by professors' worldly views that they stop believing that God is real because you've made education an idol? See, we have made education such an idol in our society that we have forgotten about our children's heart conditions. Well, if they just go to college and get a good education, they'll be just fine, they said. But are their hearts fine? Is their view of God fine? Look, don't at me, okay? I am not saying don't go to college. 
I am not saying that at all. I am saying, have we built an altar of worship to education and missed the whole point of knowledge and understanding and lost our kids' tender hearts in the meantime? And if it's not education, I picked on that, but it could be a whole bunch of other things, insert sports or anything else there. For me, one of my idols was being known, was making a name for myself, was ministry, having people say, ooh, ah, look what she did. Look what she's done. It was an idol of accomplishment, of being the best, of being known by others. And listen, I've had to, and I will continue to do really hard work to tear down this idol. Because if I don't, I pass it right down to my children. They see my example, and that becomes an idol in their life. We pass on the good things, but we also pass on the ugly things. This is why it is so important that we take this generation concept seriously. We aren't just caring for ourselves here. We are caring for those who come behind us, generation after generation. So God told Gideon to tear down that altar and that Asherah pole. And then God says this. Then, once you've done that, build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was still a little bit afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. So first, the Lord had asked Gideon to tear down the altar and the idol, which he did. But God didn't stop there. His next task was to build something else up in its place. He was to rebuild an altar and this time build it to the one true God, the one who could actually rescue his people. I find it so curious that the Lord told Gideon, hey, use the wood from the Asherah pole as fuel for the fire to make a sacrifice to God. Use the fuel from that fake image to a fake God. God will allow us to use failures in our lives, the things that are meant for evil, as an offering to him. Do you know that? Your mess-ups become an offering to the Lord. He will use everything that we've done. He will use everything we've done wrong, everything we've messed up, as a way to bring himself glory and proclaim his goodness. He will use all of it. Nothing is out of reach. And for someone in here today, you need to hear this. He will use that wound you have. He will use your most painful experience. He will use your mistake to bring himself glory. But see, it's not enough to just pull down idols. We have to build something else up in its place. It's a lot easier to not put an old idol back up if something else has taken its place. So what do you replace it with? Well, I think it's different for everyone. I believe it depends on what you've torn down. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Get godly, wise counsel from people around you. That's where you start, asking for help. Gideon took 10 servants with him to do the hard work of pulling down the idols. He knew he needed help to do that. And you will need help too. We all do. We all need people to walk alongside of us and walk through the hard things. Some of you are saying, but I don't have anyone doing that with me. And I want you to ask yourself this question. This isn't me beating you up. This is me being very honest with you and saying, look inside of yourself. If you find yourself alone and you feel like no one is helping you through the hard things, ask yourself why. Most often what I have found is that when you feel alone, it is your own doing. Whether by choice, you've isolated or because you have pushed away those who were called to walk with you. Listen, isolation and solitude are two different things. Solitude is from the Lord. Isolation is from the devil. And isolation is never the answer that will bring you healing. We all need people, every single one of us. I think it's also so important to note, though, that Gideon could not build up a new altar to the Lord until he had first pulled down the old one. I wonder if we often try to keep both altars up. Because it's just really hard to get rid of that thing or that person or that thought. So we try to offer God our worship and our sacrifices, but there really isn't that much room for him because that other idol is still there and it's taking up space in our hearts and in our minds. And I think this might be why we never feel that close to God. We think, I know he's real, but I don't really feel him, and I don't think I ever hear from him. And I would suggest to you today that it's because you're standing so close to another idol in your life, worshiping that thing that he can't even get close enough to speak to you. So for someone in here today, who has said or who is saying, I don't really hear God speak to me. Ask yourself, what idol needs to be pulled down in my life to create room for the Lord? Verse 28. Early the next morning, as the people of the town begin to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. Then the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded to Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him. Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down this altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerub Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Here's the beautiful ending of this part of Gideon's story. His obedience brings healing to his whole family. 
See, Joash, Gideon's dad, actually defends him to the townspeople. We don't know this for certain, but when I read it, I read that Joash realized his wrongdoing. He realized his sin, that he was worshiping false gods, and then he defends his son Gideon for tearing them down. This is for someone in here today. Listen to me very carefully. Your bold act of obedience, your courageous act to tear down an idol that has been built up in your life, maybe even passed down from generations behind you, will change the course of your family tree, going both backwards and forwards. But it starts with you. Just as there is collateral damage when we sin, there is also collateral healing when we confess, when we tear down idols, and when we build new practices of worship in its place. Now, the rest of Gideon's story, um, which is phenomenal, super crazy awesome story that I wish I had time to tell you today, but I don't. It's found in Judges 7 and 8. And I know we say this a lot, like, go home and read it at home, but I'm begging you. Like, go home and read it because it is awesome. He goes on to rescue the whole nation of Israel from the Midianites in a miraculous way. In fact, the Midianites were so completely annihilated that they never reformed as a group. And Israel had peace in the region for the next 40 years until Gideon died. Gideon's act of obedience to tear down that idol and to do what God had asked him to do granted the whole nation of Israel peace for 40 years. Back in July, Chris and Rochelle and Phil and I wrote a song about this story, and we called it Mighty Hero. And they're going to sing it right now. And as they sing it, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what idols need dealt with in your life. What idols need torn down to open up room for true, uninhibited worship in your life? What idols need torn down so your kids don't get them passed on generation after generation. Ask yourself this, what idol stops with me? This altar up here will be open. And there's nothing sacred about these carpets, but there's something so sacred about us taking a step of showing the Lord by our actions, that we mean it. So as they sing, allow God to stir in your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you what work you need to do, what hard work you need to do to make room for what he wants to do in and through you. Jesus, we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is here in this place, God. Lord, would you do a work in us that only you can do in these moments. Lord, would you open up our minds to the things maybe that have been hidden for a long time, maybe things we don't even realize are idols, 
But the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us right now, in this moment, in this place. In Jesus' name, we are asking for that. Holy Spirit, would you flood over this place right now with your presence? Would you do a work that only you can do in Jesus' name?